Hey, so this week we played Tacoma, um, and it was fantastic. Uh, and it was a very weird, cool, novel way of experiencing a story, so backwards like that. Um, you're sort of on this ship trying to figure out what happened, or actually you have another purpose outside of that, or maybe more, um, that gets revealed to you in time. But basically you try to understand through you know, clues and stuff like that, what has happened, and then you get these uh, audio video logs that you can go back and forth through, and you watch these stick figure, vector figures play out these scenes, and you can follow them around and watch them and just sort of live a day in their shoes as things was going uh, were going to shit, and it's a really, really cool way of sort of doing that, what the hell is going on here, atmospheric style games, so I'm really thankful having played it, um, and I'm really glad for the discussion, so... Let's get into it. Um, thanks so much. Now recording. Right. Um, I think Zoe saying now recording should be the beginning of every podcast. <laughs> we can probably pull that out. Doing her best Craig in, 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 uh, impression. Exactly. Yeah, sounds good. This is very interesting. So when I my microphone has like a, a clicker on off thing that I can use to mute myself. Um, and it makes a yeah. little like okay. tap noise. So like you guys probably probably heard it, but I'll do it now. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that sounds um, awful. It apparently on Audacity it records is this huge spike. It goes all the way up to the top and then all the way down to the bottom. Oh, and you, I'll just I'll just send you a picture of it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I, I can't without doing it again, so I'll do it later. Um, but it's interesting. I didn't realize what the waveform would look like. It is a lot scarier than voice. There's a yeah. There's a sci-fi story that my dad told me about, like a short story about. Uh, like somebody invented a way to communicate over infinite distance, um, which allowed for obviously like travel to be much more efficient. Um, and at the end of every, uh, <clears throat> uh, like, uh, message, there's this really loud beep, um, which then eventually they figure out is actually every single message that's ever been sent throughout time using this uh, device. So if you like slow it down, you can actually hear things that will happen in the future. Do you think it's possible that Adam's mute button is similar in function? That's that's the, the first thing I thought of actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a it's a scream um, of of all communication that ever has happened and ever will happen. Um, exactly. All all tapped up in this forty dollar head headset that I have. <laughs> Sounds about right. It does seem to sound about right. All right. Um, I think we just do it, man. I think we just start. Think, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Oh yeah. Um, why don't we introduce ourselves? Let's do it in Discord order. That way, no one has to pass any batons. And there's no confusion. Um, just skip Craig. Um, that's all I had. <laughs> is the order the same for all of us? Actually, I'm curious. So for me, it's A. Stafford, like myself, James, Gabe, Zoe. That's is that what everyone else sees? Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, what about Craig? Uh, nope. We're just going to pretend like he's not here. And then he's going to get like really moody like one hour in and quit. But you know, whatever. <laughs> Dude, don't piss him off, man. Come on. God, you know what's going to happen, too. All right, yeah. um, Adam, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, Who sure. are you? Yeah, um, I'm Adam Stafford. Uh, I am, I guess, currently working professionally as a software developer up in Chicago. Um, 
I like games. I have liked games for quite a while. Uh, I, I like to approach them from the mechanical side of things usually, but you know, everything is a holistic experience and all the pieces tie together. So um, that's me and my approach in my boring life. And uh, yeah. Nice. Thank you. Uh, my name is McCoy Tamler. I'm going to do two names this time, a first and last, just to like try to keep it consistent. Uh, let's see. Yes. Uh, I've played games for a long time. Uh, I've always found like reviewing games and being, you know, critical of games is like a really fun exercise. And I think that that exercise is also fun, you know, of course, in other mediums uh, like television and stuff like that. But it's just it's always been something that I've that I've loved. So you don't just enjoy the experience, but you try to understand why you might enjoy it and go find other experiences similar and, and see how they've done it. Um, and uh, I'm just thankful to be here, man. So um, thank you all. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah, my name is James Harold. Uh, I've played games kind of all my life. Uh, I started off with only a Mac for the first many years of my life, uh, which in the 90s meant that I had to go to my friends' houses to play video games. So I watched people play video games a lot, uh, and that made me think about them uh, instead of playing them. But then Adam in college convinced me to actually use that thinking to analyze instead of just, that's the end of it. And I've been uh, analyzing the games I've uh, played ever since. Yeah. It's really fun. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, my name is Gabe, um, and I too have been playing video games for most of my life, starting off with when I was a wee lad. Uh probably the N64 um, and growing up with Nintendo, but then uh, kind of then hitting the high school years of switching to more mainstream uh, ones like the Xbox and, you know, then going to PC and all that. Uh, but yeah, I've, I also have been mostly just playing games for fun, but in the semi-recent years, just kind of want to take the route of analyzing and seeing why I like games and, what how they how they speak to me on a kind of a more deeper level uh yeah okay cool uh my name is zoe beckett uh as you could probably tell with everyone else i too like playing video games a lot otherwise i don't think i'd be here <laughs> uh i grew up playing uh pretty i guess elementary computer games growing up such as The Sims, um, lots of horse games. I was a horse girl. It was great. Red Dead Redemption's great now. But yes, like everyone else has stated, <laughs> I also love to uh, analyze the games that I play. I particularly like to uh, analyze the structure of how a game directs a player throughout its universe, as well as any deep narrative symbolism that could also be a part of the experience. Um, so yeah, I guess without further ado, we can then jump into the game that I had you all play this week. And unless anyone has any announcements. I've got nothing. Cool. All right, let's just go. <laughs> let's think, just jump into yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. McCoy doesn't have any announcements, so we're done here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we should play one of those horse games. Oh, man, I've been trying to find them for so long off of Amazon. 
They just oh, don't yeah. exist. Actually, they do exist. They just cost like $200, and I would not subject what? you to that. Oh, jeez. You should check out GOG. I don't know if they're on there. but mm, Good okay. old games. Yeah. I, I, think, mm. I think that we should find someone who hates games to be a part of the podcast. Anna. That's what I'm saying. Anna needs to get yeah. on this oh, podcast. Point. Yeah, point. <laughs> she needs that's to amazing. let us know. <laughs> All right. Just the whole time, she's just sitting there just like, ah, get me out of here. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I could just right see her just being silent the whole time. And then it's like, Anna, what do you think? And she's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, she's like, the pizza's good Can for I go the 18th home now? time today. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like yeah. back in college, we would uh, conversations around the dinner table would inevitably return to Dark Souls. And she would inevitably roll her eyes and find someone who wasn't talking about dark souls i know and it used to be me and then there was a turning point where i <laughs> mccoy I how far are you to the dark side yes i know <clears throat> yeah matt was fucking having a conversation with me last night where he was just basically saying like i will play dark souls if you listen to k-pop for the rest of your life <laughs> like that was his equatable like equation there it was like i will play dark souls for a potentially finite amount of time maybe 10 hours something like that and every waking moment for the rest of your entire life you'll listen to k-pop that did was he just tell me about that last night and he was like yeah dude it's such a better deal for him he gets to listen to this amazing music forever and i have to play this shitty game <laughs> and i was like oh damn dude i know it's I just one of those things where it's like all right man all right, man, that doesn't seem fair to me, but maybe. <laughs> and then I told, you know, like, you know, I would consider it. But the pro, I don't know. I don't know. That's a long, that's a long. But the moral of the story is that, yeah, Dark Souls gets talked about a lot. I actually don't, I'm not the first one to bring it up. I want to be the first to say that, but I'm definitely not the first one to let it go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah, Tacoma, right? Do you want to, okay, so do you want to give us a, a brief overview of what you see this game as? I'm just curious, like. I mean, I think. I can just maybe give a brief summary or just like a brief concept of what the game was that I had you guys play. Um, Sounds great. Tacoma is made by uh, Fulbright, a game developer. Um, And Fulbright Games specializes in these kinds of styles where you are somebody who comes into the end of a story And using context clues and exploration, you need to piece together what has happened in the hours or days prior to you arriving at the scene. So most notably, their game Gone Home specialized with that. And so Tacoma is the, um, I guess you can say, quote unquote, sequel game with the same concept, except it's in space. So, um... Lots of lots of different themes and a lot of different uh, concepts they play around with. Most notably, this game takes place in the future, 2088. So it is their representation of what this future might look like, um, as well as some of the uh, some of the problems that might arise um, if we continue on the path we're going right now. So, with that said, I think we can just start off by, I think I want to start off by just saying the world of 2088, most notably on Tacoma, is that world believable to you guys? 
And they still use clipboards and paper. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's ever going anywhere. <clears throat> clipboards Sadly. and paper. It's like a low-tech solution that just like is not going to fail. Right. Um, yeah. I think it's unfortunately believable. In a lot yeah. of ways. I think it is believable in some ways. Um, I haven't gotten to the whole sci-fi of AI stuff, but it does a decent job of it compared to um, a lot of other games. Um, as far as like the social stuff goes, with you know, mega corporations and corp- corpocracy basically um, running the world, that's fairly believable, if not in practice, in in or if not in in if not de jure, uh, in de facto. Yeah, and I mean, I saw some aspects of the game that are prevalent now that are only, I guess, further emphasized in the game, such as um, in one of the AR desktops that you examine, uh, Bert's going through AI counseling. Like, she has, like, an AI therapist that she talks to, and oh, that's yeah. still prevalent now. Uh, now we have our online counseling where you don't even have to look face-to-face at a person anymore. You can just have a therapist that you can text or just have a phone call with. And so... Yeah. Uh, I actually was talking to Gabe about this uh, because when we were playing this game, like that struck me too, that the the AI therapist, just because in San Francisco now and maybe in other cities, there are all these like advertisements for like online therapy. And I've never seen an advertisement for therapy, like period. Like I just as a concept that it would be something commercialized and especially not one for online therapy. And these ads, man, are just so offensive like they're just (laughs) these like basic like you know uh like notepad like it's like an art rendering of a notepad right and on that list it just says like new year's resolution like get happy like call therapist and you're like damn dude yo the wrong person got some uh feed money there yeah but it's like but it's just this concept of like commercializing that whole aspect of life it's just I, I hadn't seen it before so it really caught me off guard and I, I think it it sort of is, is spoken to in this game as well it, it's kind of weird and well really very unfortunate but that kind of happened that sort of thing happens a lot where you even if your intentions start out noble like you have a good idea for something uh <clears throat> let's say this is an actual example as far as i'm aware thanks tumblr for telling me true facts and never lying to me um where uh so say you have a problem where you know people who are wheelchair bound um have a lot of trouble with like coats because you can't put a coat on when you're when you're in a wheelchair so you make this cool thing it's kind of like a robe but backwards and you call it the snuggie um and this thing is great for people who are wheelchair bound or or otherwise can't you know stand up because it's you got your sleeves you got a blanket it's great um but the market isn't big enough for you to sell it to just that group that it's intended for so you have to do this weird commercialization thing to like sneak it into the public consciousness and get it out there in a viable way, like a commercially viable way, um, so that it can reach the right people. Yeah. And actually, this is just me being ignorant, but I actually question, do you have to do that? Like, yes, you have to do that if you want to make the most money. But like, does someone, like if we were starting something, like a small snuggy 
business and it was the first thing like would we have to do uh, that or is there some sustainable stage before we get it into the public consciousness that we can just be proud of it and be okay with is anybody else not hearing mccoy most of the time uh-oh uh I'm i can hear, can hear him fine. all right so it's just me doesn't matter then awkward you can try <laughs> you can try disconnecting from discord and rejoining okay it shouldn't impact anything Oh jeez! Hi. <laughs> Hit space hey, can you hear me? You? I can hear you. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, uh, on the other side of that, um, there are a number of products that basically didn't see any, uh, like commercial success until, like, a, a disabled community discovered them as as useful um hmm. like the bendy straw oh um, interesting <clears throat> yeah so i uh heard this on a podcast um that the bendy straw the guy who invented it tried to get it into um like soda um fountains um and it just Nobody cared, but then a uh, a hospital, a long term care hospital, uh, found it and started buying them for people that couldn't sit up, um, or really use their arms, and uh, that kind of started the ball rolling. So interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know. What about it's, Tacoma, it's, though? Yeah, let's say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, fair. We have a little I, bit of I, rabbit okay. hole, but that's I fine. love rabbit holes, personally. Um, if you're listening and you're mad, hit the fast forward button. Um, <laughs> Is Tacoma the bendy straw of video games? <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I no, think but it's believable. I, I think something else that is notable with the believability that is prevalent today that I kind of want to expound on is... Uh, data privacy and privacy concerns because that's that's the big hot topic these days with uh you know facebook and google storing your data and you are a stranger on board this spaceship tapping into this data that are these mementos where you can monitor and see every movement of the personnel on the ship and i think where it really struck me was um you can go into the showers and see yeah, people shower, showering and you know there's private intimate moments among characters where the rest of the they want it to not be seen by the rest of the crew and yet you were just there like indulging yourself being like oh yes haha like i can you see your this. popcorn yeah exactly yes. so, you're like oh rewind that i'll see that again yeah. thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> And, uh, well, yeah, like people changing in the locker room as well. And sure, there's no nudity in Tacoma, but it does kind of give you the sense of uneasiness as you're playing where you're just like, I am witnessing very personal, private moments of this crew. There are some boobs. Was Thank there? You, what? In the game. <laughs> McCoy, we have to go back. I know. Fuck, man. God, did, did we not you play not, for enough hours? Did you but... not see those? 
They were, it was uh, the painting that Bert did. Oh, the on the wall, the mural. Okay, yeah. they're not they're not crew member boobs though. It's Jeez. true. Yeah, yeah. And I won't get off if it's not crew member boobs. So. <laughs> just saying, but no, but it's like I think what's really interesting about this privacy aspect is just that they sort of there there's more contextual reason as to why they would not have privacy because they're on this ship doing some particular like you know important thing and they've sort of signed up for it. Um, and they understand, like, I think there's like a, like a line or two in there where they say like, oh no, we understand like being up here, we're not going to have much privacy. Um, but it is interesting to see it in that way. And then to think about essentially that being hidden in a terms of service of like an app that you use yeah. and them getting the same sort of privacy laws out of you just using Facebook or whatever. I feel like we kind of already are entering this. Like that's, as we said, like, that's the big thing that we're talking about today. And, like, I think the idea of what privacy is is changing. Like, people will hand over all their private information for $5 or, you know, the ability to do a chat app. Like, the barrier to entry is just so low for handing over everything that you have because most people kind of don't care about it. Um, so it's kind of already happening. I would definitely see these people being really blasé about handing over all their information and then, you know, finding out that some contractor snooped in and... and watch them showering for a little bit um and being kind of like eh yeah okay i saw that coming whatever right because you can also argue that um in a world with ai and jobs getting automated you know probably jobs themselves are hard to come by for humans i mean there's a whole labor union specifically designed for employing humans and not having their jobs being taken over by AI. So maybe it's also something where they know that their data is going to be made public, but it's the they only way that they can even get a job. Yeah, they have hardly a choice. And I think that sort of choice, so that's like definitely exacerbated right off into the future, but those sorts of choices are still sort of here now. Like they talk a lot about... You know, it's basically like every adult's responsibility right now to figure out like how Facebook is going to destroy our kids. Um, but they always say like, you know, they are all forced to be on these social medias because that's where the social consciousness is for their age group. And so they don't, in an essence, really have a choice if they want to contribute to these to the groups. Right. If they want to be part of this thing, then they sort of have to agree to sign this stuff away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh yeah, I think. What do you think um, about the? Uh, go ahead. Uh, the like Amazon University. Yeah, that's what I was going to say you. next. Yeah, Carnival <laughs> Cruises expanding to a space flight cruise of some sort, and then Amazon branching out into Amazon University. I think all of the mega corporations have their own university. Mm -hmm. They also have like company points instead of like so the currency in in Tacoma is all loyalty points and you can get it converted to like hard cash if you want but it's not it's like really inefficient to do so um so like basically you live within uh the Amazon bubble what's that tweet return to your prime house prime citizen yeah <laughs> yeah oof um yeah. Is that what they said? Oh my gosh. I mean, in a way, like Amazon Prime today is some form of loyalty to a mm -hmm. brand. So, yeah, it could be argued that in the future we'd be paying solely by loyalty 
and uh, go to these universities where the student loan debt is absolutely staggering. But, you know, if you get a job within that university's bubble, you can pay it off quicker with more company loyalty. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but back at Oberlin, uh, I actually said that I thought that that was the way that higher education is going. <clears throat> to where companies to where companies sponsor you to go to college um because it's going to be exorbitantly expensive for most of the population so they're going to basically scout out high schoolers or younger pay for them to get educated and then have them work for the company for x number of years in order to pay it off i think this is sort of there are like preludes to this already with like i think it's less nefarious than that makes it sound, but um, the McDonald's University, Burger U, that's more like if you're working there, then you get to go to college, maybe. Well, it's the same thing with uh, technical schools and that kind of deal. A lot of companies out there need like a highly skilled laborer, like with welding or pipeline management or something like that. So they'll, you know, have someone come in who's interested and can do the job, pay for them to get the training in that job, so then they can fill that that slot they need filled. And isn't it interesting how less evil that sounds and feels like there's just some sort of fear around these big companies coming in and like quote, solving all these problems that you feel like maybe they created or helped create. And yet it's like, there are all sorts of people doing that for the trades and stuff, but they, it just feels like a much more honest, smaller thing of like, we need this particular person. And so we're just going to help. Well, I think it depends on the company. I'm sure some of them are like, you know, Exxon or some of that degree. <laughs> it's also partly, I think, that, um, well, in, in part, it's two things. One, it's that, like, the whole company credits thing that they're using in, in Tacoma, where, like, you basically, you're screwed if you ever leave your brand. So your whole life becomes trapped in this brand bubble. You don't actually have, like, mobility outside of that. So your entire life ends up being controlled by Amazon if you happen to be, you know, an Amazon family or whatever. All of your money is Amazon money, all of your resources that you have access to, all, all the jobs, all the universities, probably most public services are all Amazon controlled. Um, so they just have like absolute control over your life. Uh, whereas like having a company university or something like that is like you kind of make a deal there and aren't. Like you're beholden to it once you've made made that deal. There's like penalties for leaving, I would assume, and not fulfilling your end of the bargain. But um, it's well, not mean, all encompassing. The character of Clive, he left his contract early uh, at Carnival, and he was paying the price. He was no longer able to be employed by Carnival later down the line. Um, yeah, oh, he, yeah. Was, he was just fucked by everything. He couldn't like get a job, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then so, can we? So he I'm was actually. Curious. Yeah, no, you go. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say he was actually kind of saved by the way the game plays out. <clears throat> in, in a certain oh, sense. Hmm. Um, well, in, in more than one sense, at least. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, he was physically saved. saved at the end. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. So then, what what is obsolescence day then? Really, like, I. I just, you know, call me dense or whatever, but I just keep thinking of like, okay, so this is the day we celebrate where humans don't have to work anymore, but yet everyone's working and 
so is it just the the birth of an AI where they feel they think that that's the direction it'll go, or does anyone have any insight into that? I was a little curious. The day I took when some humans, notes on this, but all my notes got wiped out. So sorry. The day when <laughs> <laughs> when humans are obsolete. Yeah, that's uh, the thing yeah, they were but, like celebrating. Well, but like, has it happened already? Because they're still working, right? Well, no. So obsolescence day is a holiday created by the human labor union to celebrate not the obsolescence of human jobs, but um, it's worded weirdly. It's like a celebration of when humans got the right to work back and the AI became obsolete because there was some jobs that could not be done by an AI that a human could do. So it's a it's celebrating the victory of the labor union and it's celebrating oh. the obsolescence of that AI, which is ironic okay. considering you know they still use AI a lot to get through their day-to-day activities. It's a very yeah, they really do. confusing concept and it's took me a while to like I think one of the desktops that you do has like a origin of obsolescence day snippet on it. Um, okay. Huh. Yeah, Very- and they really do use the AIs a lot. <clears throat> like when, as you walk through their stories, you can hear them sort of, I mean, they basically talk about that. They're like, well, I mean, the AI just told me to do it, but I, I, I did it. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah, and you saw that the, the AIs get compliance scores, which aren't, 100%. Yeah, exactly. They <laughs> go through these like question and answer sessions to try to get their score up. Yeah. And yeah. it really determines the success of that AI. Um, yeah. You know what was kind of an interesting topic in terms of the AIs that they <clears throat> that they talked about? They talked about this concept that they had never gotten two AIs to like communicate to each other or like that like some or something along these lines like there was some uh like snippet where they're saying oh yeah some dark company tried to like maybe like breed ais or something crazy about that um i think that might actually have been and again this is not a spoiler free thing that might have been the characters group um amy Mm -hmm. amy's group um because it's like it's like oh yeah there's rumors of some group that's going around collecting ais and letting them talk to each other which is definitely a bad idea um, yeah and then it's like haha just kidding that's exactly what you're doing right it just seemed to me so amazing that this concept that these ais had not ever spoken to each other before that, that was even a possibility that they could lock them from each other like that I, there's I, a short story that i want to write someday um original content do not steal um that's like so with strong ai like ai that can self-improve um like how do you control that how do you how do you manage that how would you ever contain that? Like you'd have to go through these ridiculous lengths to keep it from escaping. Um, if that's what you wanted to do, like, you know, presumably Odin would have to have some kind of like crazy security thing in place so that it can't just like message other AIs because of course they can just do that. They have telecommunications. Um, like I think Neuromancer did this, where Neuromancer's solution to this was that they were con- AIs were constantly being monitored by like tons of people 
and software assistance and stuff like that. And if they, if there was ever a chance that things were going bad, they would just immediately, you know, physically destroy every piece of hardware that AI had run on. Like detonate the server room, basically. Um, yeah. Um, that, uh, I, I've, I've heard media that, 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 uh, or, or Reddit or whatever that, um, is kind of related to that problem of like, I've heard it called like unbraked versus braked AIs. Um, <clears throat> where you kind of, the AI are held back by, uh, breaks that don't let them kind of grow past a certain point, don't let them think certain things, um, and don't let them out, uh, in, like, beyond the systems that they're allowed to control. In a system, in a spaceship. Um, and honestly, I thought that's where this game was going. I thought it was going to be that the AI had, um, basically fabricated the situation in order to force the humans to let it out. A, a 2001 Space Odyssey situation? Yeah. That's what I thought, too, because it's a very classic setup. <clears throat> Actually, in commentary mode, a lot of a Space Odyssey, 2001 A Space Odyssey, is uh, the game developers were heavily influenced by that. So I could see how you could come to that conclusion. So something yeah, I that I thought ahead. was kind of interesting. Um, so, like, I, I can't find this quote. I, I, it, it's somewhere on the internet, whatever. Um, but the writing good sci-fi is really interesting because you need to make things that would be extraordinary to us mundane to the characters um, because once it's mundane to the characters, it, it shows what their everyday life would be. Um, but you also want to showcase this stuff um, so that the reader can be excited about it. So you, you have to walk this really interesting line between making, like, showing off the technology that you want to show off and how it impacts society and things like that. Um, but you have to do this while keeping it mundane for all the characters. Like, we don't talk about, uh, like, our cell phones. I mean, we talk, we complain about them or whatever, but we don't say it's like, ah, yes, my magical telecommunications box in my pocket, which talks to a huge network of satellites and screams at all the radio towers nearby and, and you know, this can work by these ways. And, like, hell, I don't know how a cell phone works. I've tried to figure it out, but <laughs> it's complicated stuff. Voodoo. Yeah. Don't yeah. you think that that's kind of what this game does really, really well from its sort of, like, figuring out backwards the story like you kind of just enter into this world and no one's they're all just going about their day like it feels like exactly that description of sci-fi that you talk about where it's up to you to look at things in a new light because they're weird to you but they're not really presented necessarily in any overly over-the-top way they're just they're just there like you just need to look around and see what you can find backwards from from what their life might be like yeah and i think it does it particularly well so like they are able to leverage the medium of games for this really really well because if you're like if there's a movie or or a book or something like that and you devote specific page time or screen time to like describing how these fancy toothbrushes work also the toothbrushes that had in tacoma what the fuck 
Yeah, I right. Know, <laughs> and they were and they were in the bathroom. The like, developers on, got so much crap for those two with rushes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you would put that in your mouth and live. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was strange because there's like some weird toothbrushes, but then in other bunks there's like normal toothbrushes, and so. I can see yeah. where the complaint comes from of like, okay, what the fuck is this? Stop Maybe those that. are weird future sex toys. Who knows? Um, no, they had those any too. They had those too. Oh, I, I missed those. They like weren't I didn't future sex completely. toys. Yeah, bottom um, of Nat and Bert's bunk. Of course. Some, uh... McCoy, we have to I go mean, back. Know, have... <laughs> I know, everything <laughs> also, a sex toy. Also some rope. Do, but... Also some rope was there. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Huh. Um, but I think In the... any case... Okay. Actually, finish your thought, Adam. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I think it, Tacoma uses the medium of video games really well because it allows the player to explore at their leisure, you know, walk into the bathroom and, like, flip all the switches and toggle all the stuff and look at the hand-washing machine and, like, inspect everything and be like, oh, so this is how a space future bathroom might look like. This is how this world is built. And, you know, really luxuriate over, the, like, you know, the, the Hilton University banner. And stuff like that. Like, you can spend your own time doing that stuff. So the screen time is doesn't have to be spent, like, kind of pointlessly describing this thing that all the characters in the, the book or film, like, already know about. It's like that scene in that's kind of famous in Pacific Rim where a guy goes, as we both know, kaiju have this and that and the other thing. And it's like, <laughs> if we both know this, why the fuck are you saying it? Yeah, there's a lot of as we both know in film. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, this gets around that because it lets the player examine things at their own leisure. And the characters never have to say. It's like, you know, they do describe things to each other, but it works in those situations because, you know, they're all experts in their domains and they're explaining things in their domain to other characters. But, yeah. Right. Like, the world makes as much sense as you allow it in this game. So you can honestly just breeze through it and then... Sure, you could probably complete the game with little to no exploration and just playing the mementos, maybe even not even looking at the AR desktops, and you could get a sense of what's happening. But yeah, it's that exploration that the player needs to uh, needs need to uh, needs to do themselves, and how much of that exploration they decide to go through, which really makes the world a lot more richer. I was very pleased with how natural this world felt, even though it was in this futuristic time. Um, and I think I accredit that to what you and McCoy have been saying, Adam, of just, you know, the not the, the game doesn't like to scream at you all of this futuristic stuff. Uh, it's all just kind of there for you to pick up and toggle um and yeah i think that's what makes this game really well written i think another thing that we could talk about would be within the little ar scenes themselves how natural the timing feels like there's six conversations going on at once sometimes in some of those scenes and you rewind and play through the scene starting in different angles and different locations of the room. And they all just, you know, they all come together so naturally and they all go apart so naturally. Um, 
And I think that was just something really, like, really amazing about the game was just how natural even the conversation themselves felt. It's kind of interesting that you say that um, because I agree that it felt really good. Like the writing was super strong in this. Yeah. But I did notice as I was playing that like, well, it did, I would say, feel natural. Like it came across as natural. If you look at it, it very much is not just because um, you never see someone just like sit down and not talk about anything for a while. In all of those scenes, everyone is doing something. There's never like a, there's never more than like, I want to say five seconds of someone not doing something. They like wait just long enough for someone to get out of earshot and then they're talking to Odin or they're now talking to another character um, or something like that. And it's like, sometimes I just sit and stare at a wall for five minutes. Like no one does that, you know? I disagree with that, actually. There is, there is a couple of quiet moments like that. Um, I think during the quote-unquote meteor crash scene, there's that whole quiet moment with Evie where she goes into her office and she motions of picking up her sister's photograph, the photo of her and her sister, and she's having a quiet moment to herself, reflecting. And then she's called back into the room. So I don't think... I don't think there is as little quiet moments as you might think there is. I guess that's kind of the only one that I can... And again, I lost all my notes on this a moment ago, but um, that's the only one that I can think of off of the top of my head, and there's still, like, something happening there. It's not dialogue, necessarily, but there's, like... And I realize I'm changing the goalposts here, so sorry about that. Um, but there's, like, still... that That is a scene. Like, it's not someone, you know, using the bathroom or or reading a book or something like that just doing some or the cat napping what about the cat oh the cat no the cat you're right the cat as it's such an important character in 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 this game um really fulfills yes okay you're right never mind (laughs) (laughs) no i don't know it's i mean i think it's a valid point it's it's just it's interesting because they definitely that's one of those things that i feel like they made the conscious choice of trying to make it like to highlight specific points of interest in all of these people and to put them together in a way that that feels natural um and i don't know i i I definitely like i could i could see your point and looking at that way and i it definitely did not occur to me at all going through it like going through it i was i was just like completely taken aback by how cool a story would be like what told this way could be like just how weird and how alien you felt as the observer to it I, just, I was digging it, man. I just remembered why this felt like familiar to me when I was playing it with Adam saying that because I was like, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like a play. Like nobody's there just doing nothing because, I mean, while it feels natural that as as we go through it, that's because we're an observer and, you know, we want to observe them doing stuff like they did add in bits of people doing kind of nothing, but that was just in the like single person scenes. Right. Um, but I mean, that was always when you had something to do during the scene. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's <clears> right. <throat> I'd forgotten about those. So like the guitar and stuff. Right. Whatever. Like the guitar or like, um, uh, the hacker chick. Nat, Nat, like reading a book. 
Um, <clears throat> but I mean, once again, you always had something to do. You were reading during those, so it it wasn't it didn't feel like dead time. And I think that while it's not normal for there to be no dead time, it is not interesting when there is dead time. Absolutely. Like, it, it felt, like, to Zoe's credit, and I guess in a way I agree with what she's saying, it feels very natural. Even if, if you, like, really examine it, it kind of falls apart a little bit. It would have been terrible to have, like, downtime like that, where you're, like, following one of the characters around and they're just, like, picking which soda to drink or something like that for five minutes it's like wow what what riveting <laughs> what riveting storytelling this is yeah <laughs> like that'd be terrible so like you want things to you you as an observer you want to have interesting things happening all the time with like in plays yeah there's no reason to have dead time like that cut it out so the reason that i that i thought of it as like a play is because there's a play called sleep no more i don't know if any of you have heard of this um nope. uh, it's this kind of like experimental Macbeth um, where all of the audience is just put into this building uh, where the actors are walking around doing things in various rooms. Um, and you just have to like search for people doing shit in, in the building. Um, and uh the actors will like go to kind of various scenes in in the various rooms of the building um and so you're kind of just like exploring this sort of empty like very dark um space where you know things happened or are going to happen um and it's actually very similar to this game in a certain way. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's I, so I've actually heard about that. Um, and there's a couple people from my work who, who, have, who have gone to it, at least here, or a thing similar to it in structure. Yeah. And it's kind of like this game without being able to pause and rewind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, which is actually kind of a cool concept to think about what, like, you know, creatively what this game would be like if you couldn't rewind. I mean, obviously, practically, it's way more awesome when you can rewind. But it is really like thinking about trying to like the, these people at work that I was talking to, they kept saying like they went to it multiple times and they hung out in different rooms. So they tried to like run through the thing multiple times in order to get that, the cohesive story, like right. put the pieces together over time. Turns out um, it's way better when you just follow the actors instead of hanging out in a specific room. Uh, okay. Because the actors are know. where the shit happens. Weird. Well, so this kind of brings up to me this this concept that i was thinking about and i could not help but get this idea out of my head or try to get this idea out of my head the whole time when i was playing it it was just that this game is like the perfect game for vr yeah like, without question because half of what you do is you want to just be in that world and see what it's like and you want to like look under things and you want to pick something up and just hold it in your hand and look it around like they modeled so many unique items with all this text and flavor on there if you want to just pick up a book and read the back of it or you want to pick up a shampoo bottle and you want to see what they put in there like it would just be so perfect for uh, a medium that could get you further into that world and let you really just be right there in the conversation i was going to ask did they ever like was there ever like a practical application to picking things up and like looking at them yeah i can't remember mm. if there was well there were so fulbright 
specifically has what they call pointless interaction that they just love to do to make the world seem more real. So you never really get any benefit from picking everything up Mm -hmm. in a room and looking at it. But they just do that to make the world seem a little bit more realistic to you. Instead of just, you know, opening up a cabinet and there's shampoo bottles that you can't interact with whatsoever. It's just like a splash art of shampoo bottles stuck there. Like, you can actually take the items out. You can toss them around. Um, Okay. They also have the put back feature because people felt bad for just tossing stuff around. So they put the put back feature in there for people who like to be clean. That would would drive people with with fat OCD just utterly nuts if they couldn't I, at least i imagine it would some things were you can't place it nicely some things you had to like find where that where you could put it back like the skull you can put back oh, yeah on the skeleton hmm. or like all the letters on the happy obsolescence day yeah thing you can find all the letters laying around and put them back up there i did not do that yeah. one i did do the skull <laughs> though in that room, though, the obsolescence state room, there was also, like, a game of pool that you could play that was, like, surprisingly well fleshed out. Yeah. Like, the world just felt so fleshed out Yeah, um, going through it. It just, I don't know. I thought that was just a fantastic element. Like, they really did take the, what if the atmosphere told as much of or as little of a story as you want? And it's, like, one of those things where... It, I feel this the opposite of this playing through a lot of AAA games where they look beautiful, but then you try to interact with anything and nothing exists. It's all just like an ob- a 3D object that doesn't move. Like you go to a shopkeeper and you're like, oh, that's a cool item. And it's like, it's a bunch of arrows in a basket, but you can't touch any of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, this game was so the opposite of that where it's like, you're like, okay, I'll just fuck around with this pool table. And then you're like, actually, this thing is, they, they put love into this. Like it sounds great. It looks great. And you just find yourself sort of like playing with pool for a second. Not like you're going to go play pool or whatever, but just in that you're interacting with this thing on this lonely spaceship just because, I don't know, you can. And you can just, you can, you can let yourself live that moment because it just, it's, it's so much more deep mm. than most games you find in terms of interactability. I, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Um, also, shout out to the people who did the modeling and the texturing and stuff on this game because yeah. wow, the detail. Like, yeah, you can flip clipboards over and see fingerprints on the on the back side yeah. of them. It's like, damn, I wouldn't even thought of that. Yeah, this is what I'm saying for VR, though, man. Like, if you could pick that stuff up and really just put it up to your face, um, I don't know if you guys have tried VR. I've only done it very little, um, but it is a very very powerful medium at tricking your body into thinking that you're actually there. And for a game like this, that's all about just like being there. And just being weirded out by what that thing is, it would be so perfect. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, I would agree with that. I and think when you go into the zero G area, you can actually vomit. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna <laughs> say. <laughs> How do you get yourself to vomit? I didn't know that. Oh no, no, um, in, in real life. Oh, in, in real VR. life. Okay. Yeah. I thought you There's meant that your character of Amy could like vomit after. I'm like, I didn't know that. <laughs> That'd be so horrible. I know, well, I know be... if you, uh, I know if you punch the, the punching bag in the gym, if you punch it enough times, uh, Amy gets winded. Oh really? She, she gets exhausted. So I was just curious if they also added that functionality to it, which would be hilarious, but also disgusting. Yeah. This yes. game. This game has so much. 
uh, like negative space. Like it, so the term that I've heard thrown around, thanks X credits, um, is negative space for this. It's, it's like filling in these weird, like if a player thinks, oh, hey, there's a like a thing that I should be able to do. Can I go do it? And is there something for me at the end? And if the answer is always yes, they've done a very good job of filling out the negative space. Um, so like Breath of the Wild is really good at this because you can just run in a direction and hit something interesting or like look around you and find something interesting and go there. Um, but this game is also really good with it because of those weird little interactions. It's like, can I actually play pool? Oh, hey, I can. Neat. Oh, the, hey, they actually thought of, hey, what would happen if you, you know, punch this bag a bunch of times? They actually thought about what would happen if you did this. How cool. And I think the setting, by the way, lends itself amazingly to them being able to do that. Like, I was struck by that playing this game in the sense that it wasn't set on Earth. It wasn't in a building. It wasn't in something that theoretically eventually you have to hit an invisible wall that you can't leave. Like, oh, you can't go to that park, dude, because we didn't do anything there. <laughs> like, it's so self-contained in this spaceship that it just, it's it allows them to sort of find reasonable bounds of, of depth that they can go into for everything mm. in a finite way. And all the boundaries feel real like oh yeah of course i can't just go into space or whatever but then they're allowed to put detail in all of the pieces that you can go into and it feels really good like a classic example is uh, i was playing spider-man the other day and spider-man is well first of all if you actually like go down to the ground and you walk around like it's not very detailed but that's fine but you know you're flying around but then they modeled uh one particular like what, Manhattan or something, they modeled like an aspect of New York. And there's bridges and stuff that go to other parts of New York, but you just simply can't go. Like, you look over there and they just say, no, no, you can't go that way, dude. You know, whatever. You're not being a superhero, turn around or something. And it's just like this game so expertly avoids all of that that it really immerses you. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. It, it makes me think a little bit of um, like a game that did this very poorly uh, is is Oblivion. Um, I know McCoy actually likes that weird game from when the fuck was that? Like two thousand five. Um, Oblivion's ancient now. Wow. Um, but in any case, Oblivion, I think. Well, this is maybe a different concept, but Tacoma is very small and self-contained, so they're able to put a lot of detail into each piece of it. So no matter where you go, you find something interesting. Um, whereas in Oblivion, they made this huge world and then copy-pasted large sections of English countryside, and all of the dungeons are copy-pasted from other dungeons. Um, so no matter where you go, there's nothing interesting. You have this huge area with nothing in it. You've seen it all after you've gone through the first, like, four dungeons. Um, whereas in, in Tacoma, they're able to put a lot of information into, and a lot of care into each area because it's so much smaller. Right, and I see this design concept that you speak of, but I actually think Oblivion is somewhat of a poor example of that. Because I think if you said Fallout 4, not 3, but 4, then I would agree with you. Um, because I think that game really did lack depth uh, in, in terms of creativity, and it was a lot of copy and pasting, or at least it felt like that. But Oblivion, um, especially for the time, but I would imagine even today, had a lot of uniqueness in the individual dungeons that you could go to not in that they were like necessarily like they look different but that they would have some set different setups or you'd go into people's houses and they'd be set up in a way that felt like it had been cared for and loved like you know like or, or like fallout is a good example you go into like a weird 
fallout shelter and then you're like why are there bobbleheads everywhere and why is like what's the story here and they do a little bit of environmental storytelling not to the level that tacoma does but um i thought that those games in particular did a a good enough if not great job at actually having sort of seemingly different stuff and different people and different patterns in the different places that you would go to um but you but, have to get over the fact that all of the textures are exactly the same. Yeah. And, you know, you're entering paintings and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, definitely. No, I, like, but I think that principle, though, is something to look out for in games if you want to analyze them in terms of... I think that's a classic example of where a lot of AAA games in the modern age are... They're massive. They're massive. And they're fighting each other to be more massive. And you will find that that paradigm that you speak of in those games really clear. Like, okay, so they're very hollow. Um, and I wish I just could be on rails. I know we used to make fun of, like, this is an on-rails game or whatever, but those games could have a lot of detail. Um, it's just, it's there are definitely games that do that better, and there are games that do that worse. Um, and I, I, I see the paradigm, but I, to me, at least personally, I thought Oblivion did a pretty good job of navigating such a large scale. It was one of the earlier takes on it, which helps. But And they did a lot better in Fallout 3. Like, they gave each dungeon a storyline. Um, in Oblivion, most of the dungeons were just super empty. Um, and, I don't know, for me, at least, maybe this is because I'm an adult now, um, but I look more for fun density, or, like, I guess, novelty density. A density of good things, rather than just amount of good things. Like, Oblivion, if you probably found all the cool stuff, had you know quite a bit to see but there's so much garbage in the way that like it's not dense you're spending a lot of time just like tromping across the english countryside or well the so for next week we're playing oblivion yeah i know honestly so i want to this is maybe getting ahead of ourselves a little bit but i think it'd be fun for like each block uh, each round where we go five weeks or whatever um have a theme for that and i want one of them to be bad games Okay. Games that you think are bad but hold some kind of promise. Um, and then you're going to choose Oblivion. I'm going to get tilted. <laughs> <laughs> you can just make one of those and blocks then, Todd Howard. Yeah. <laughs> the Todd Howard block. And then you're going to pick Starseed Pilgrim just to spite me. <laughs> so, so wait, wait, okay. So first of all, I think that's super reasonable. I'd love to play some bad games. Um, Fallout 76. I just, but before you... Yes, well, but see, that's a great example of a game that we've all heard is bad, but have any of us played it? No. no. So is it bad? I'm not sure. I played Fallout 4, um, so I played it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> Let's just come in with preconceived ideas. But um but before we leave the the topic of like trash in the way, it, I think this is actually a very key concept that happens as you get older, like you said, um because you were an adult now or whatever. There's a point in time when I stopped valuing games as the amount of hours that they would give me. That used to be like one of the most important metrics as a kid that people would talk about. Yo, dude, this game is 200 hours. Wow, that's so fucking cool, man. You know what I mean? And that was like the prime metric. Um, But that shifted once you started to realize that you had less time and you had more money. So you could buy more games, but you couldn't play them all. (laughs) <laughs> it's like there was this became this point where it's like if i'm gonna buy this thing i hope it's actually good like and i think that's what tacoma and games like uh firewatch do incredibly well they respect your time like they can give you a powerful encapsulated experience that lets you go at the end of it that doesn't ask you to grind a hundred more hours to see some more content it just gives it to you and lets you go 
And I just feel so respected by those types of experiences, especially in the modern day when I play them. It's interesting, too, because a lot of games are being retrofitted, sort of. So I I was watching a friend play Final Fantasy X. Um, They did like an HD remaster or something of that game um, not too long ago. And I was watching him play through it. And originally, wow, that game would have been a slog. I mean, it still is kind of a slog because you you hit a random encounter every 20 seconds and you spend six hours punching a golem or whatever. Um, but they give you a times four speed mode that you can just, you can just tap a button and now everything's four times as fast in combat. As you walk around, everything but cutscenes goes four times as fast. So they realized that like this stuff kind of was just garbage in the way. And at the time when Final Fantasy X was originally released, that was like a desirable thing, kind of like that padding. Um, but now it is very much not. So they just kind of patched this thing over top of it that made it go away, sort of. Is that not what Davy did? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. All right, don't listen to me in my fifteen deep meta ball, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Does anyone have any points on Tacoma that they're like, dude, I gotta talk about this and just take it in a random direction and fuck it? Doesn't have to be related to any of this shit. I was just gonna like... say, it feels weird to revisit the game after the segue that has happened. But yeah, there were some other aspects. Yeah, let's let's get back to it. Totally. Um, One element of the game, while we're talking about game detail, that I thought was very intriguing was um, seeing the world in a different state than what the AR scenes showed. For instance... um, Towards the end, when Nat and Bert are working on the, uh, on the little on the little plane to get them out of there, mm-hmm. and in the AR scene, Bert is climbing what clearly is a ladder, but you're looking at the aftermath of it because what happens? The ship explodes, the ladder gets knocked over. So you're seeing a knocked over ladder, but you're watching Bert climb something invisible. But you can see from there that it's clearly a uh you can see that it's clearly supposed to be her climbing the ladder and i just thought the game did such a great job of showing the world in a different state than what the actors are seeing and i don't know and there are small examples of this too like even when they just walk through doors or they mess with a locker that's closed and you just like feel this need to open it so that you can like write the narrative yeah like as you're seeing it totally and one of the cool things was seeing, like, if you go up to, like, a locker and see those locked, then you could replay and see the character, like, type in their passcode. What is security? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the game gives you both options. So, like, you could explore and find the code to that locker, or you can just look over the person's shoulder and still get the combination. Yeah. And the game allowed you to do both which I thought was really nice of them. Because, yeah, instinctually, when you're watching somebody type in a code, you'll want to just kind of look over their shoulder and just see the numbers and be like, oh, okay, cool. 1127 or whatever. That was in, in that same scene that you were talking about with the, um, the explosion of the shuttle, uh, I, I missed that the code for that door uh, was displayed in the uh, in the scene, so I like searched around uh, Bert 
and Nat's room and, like, found a couple things that I thought might be the code. <clears throat> and then I went back and then actually ended up seeing it after I had found what turned out to be the code. But I thought it was, like, really incredible and honest that it was actually just their wedding date. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. The first time I played through it, yeah, I didn't see the code either. But I think if you go into Bert's workshop, you see their wedding yeah. wedding invitation or something like right. that. And so, yeah, I was like, okay, well, that's a, that's a date that's significant to them. I'll try that. And it worked. And so I was like, that's really cool that it's not just some random random code for some of these characters it means something to them yeah um and then uh i think another part that was really cool that didn't draw attention to itself um i'd like to also just talk about just the scene of the station outside of the windows that you go through in some rooms like the way the light bounces off the room mm -hmm. and if you wait long enough, like the sun will start shining through the room and just create these like wonderful patterns. Um, kind of makes you realize that there's a whole world happening out there as you're exploring the ship, which is a cool little aspect that they have. Yeah, the lighting in the um, game was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I think also it was cool, like in the in the tea garden. If you sit and stare out the window for long enough. You can see the burst oxygen tanks that started this whole catastrophe, but what? it's it happens so far like the the oxygen tanks rolling by I think it takes about you know four minutes for a full cycle, so you'd really have to be sitting and staring out there for a long time, so it's easy that you could go into that room and just completely miss it. But for the people who do decide to just sit and absorb the world, you kind of get a little bit of payoff being like, oh, there goes an oxygen tank that's clearly ripped apart. Like, that's the evidence that something terrible has happened. So I'm curious, Zoe, how much of this did you do on the first playthrough? Uh, um, so I did not do uh, all of it on my first playthrough. Um if you guys have a time, I would play it in commentary mode because commentary mode draws attention to some of these cool little Easter eggs in the game that they've put in that they think are really valuable. Right. Um, so yeah, half of like I would say most of what um, I was able to piece together the story and to find like the small aspects that contributed to the main story. But as for the actual like absorbing of the environment i had to the assistance of commentary was very nice because then it just kind of made you show like hey we have a cool little thing in here if you want to wait around and look at it otherwise like be on your merry way right so i asked this just because i mean you're the one who's, who's played this the most like you said i think you'd play it maybe three times um mm -hmm. but uh so so when Gabe and I played this, uh, so we were doing a playthrough of this, and like as the person controlling it, I was sort of torn between like going through a lot of details and then necessarily like keeping the pace of the of the story because there's kind of like two different things going on. There's the atmospheric element, and there's also sort of the chaos of things unwinding. And looking back on how I played it, I I think I would have been better off to have read 
less messages and and less environmental details the first time through and then and then just follow the story more and let that wash over me and then i maybe in a second playthrough would have taken that to sit down and absorb the atmosphere more in a particular go through everything detail sort of way yeah i mean i i would agree with you with that because i think there's so many subplots to the main plot of the story um, and the subplots aren't anything that prevents you from getting the true grasp of the game. Uh, the subplots are more of just like a little like little bonus content for each character to make each character look very much more well-rounded. So I don't right. think you lose anything by, you know, not reading the, those things, which is why I also did multiple playthroughs because then I just, once I got the main storyline, then it was like, okay, now I really want to dive into Clive's past and I really want to dive into Sarah's past. Um, yeah, because there's just like little little things that hint at each character and their own internal struggles. And each character has such a unique theme to them. Like... Uh, Clive is just all about former glory and being a hopeless romantic and someone who's just down on his luck, who's looking back in the past and being like, those were the good old days. And sure, like, you don't need to know that about Clive to get the rest of the story, but it was just kind of a cool little subtext that made you then want to analyze his role in the AR scenes. Because it does, uh, there are like little hints at their personalities within the AR scenes that wouldn't have meant anything to you if you hadn't read that little tidbit. Like one thing that comes to mind is in one of Clive's AR desktops, he is reading an article about how to be more likable in the office. Oh, yeah, I saw and, that. And <laughs> uh, it says, like, you know, address somebody as, like, head honcho or, like, pal or buddy. Like, give little nicknames. And after you read that and you play through the scene, Evie comes in and he's just like, oh, mon capitan, like, anything for you. <laughs> oh, like, so yeah. you can see he's trying yes. to do that, like, in practice. And it's, you know, it's something that doesn't add to the story, but it's just a little, like, tidbit where that exploration and that um, connection of clues just kind of pays off in a little bit where you're like, aha, I see what they did there. Like, that was really cool. Like, there was a lot of little moments like that that I just grew to appreciate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it's really cool the way they did the medium um, because you're allowed to appreciate all those little moments. Because it's like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched like a YouTube video or something like that where there's just a ton of stuff happening and you want to like pause and rewind <laughs> a whole bunch and to like catch up like little details. Hmm? Isn't that most YouTube videos where there's a lot of stuff happening? No? <laughs> some some of them. Some of them, nothing is happening. Like unboxing oh. videos. Um, <laughs> Shots called <fired>. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> anyway, uh, it, like if there's a lot of stuff happening, like a lot of these little tidbits and things like that, you want to always be pausing and rewinding to like catch these like, uh, like freeze frame bonuses. Um, and this game, oh, like, because you're not intended to watch it through exactly one time and be done with it, um, they can fit a lot of these, like, you know, little things that are, are just mundane details about the world in there. And the player can choose to interact with them if the player feels like it or not. Um, so the whole medium is almost like 
a hyper complicated YouTube video uh, where you can pick and choose which pieces you want to watch and when. Um, it's almost like it's its own method of storytelling that addresses a lot of problems with other methods of storytelling. Like the the whole uh, conservation of de the idea of conservation of detail, where you're not allowed to show something unless it directly advances the plot. Um, like that's out the window because you can do that now. It, it it's great. You can just have these little things and let the world breathe. Um, yeah. It's really cool. I like the way that they did the rewind, fast forward storytelling thing. It was a really good idea for Tacoma. Mm. And on, sci fi on is a great that, fit. Though. On the other side, it's it's interesting because I feel like not having that conversation of detail like just trapped me in a trying to soak every element at once, and just call me dense, but like it was hard for me to follow at first who these people were, and I was like, wait, I think I've seen you before. You were this, and it's like I was trying to keep it all straight the first time through was was difficult, um, and I think part of it is because I tried to read everything and I tried to just soak everything uh and then gabe was also rolling his eyes i'm sure because he was there being like god fucking damn it stop oh, yeah. um but uh but it just it, it like it allowed me to do that that was on me and i realized like i was setting my own pacing up in the wrong way hmm. um and it is it's interesting that it let me do that which i do not blame it for like looking back i am like thankful for the pacing that i can set um but i just think i fucked it up to be honest um at least in parts and so I, I actually am very curious to go through this game again with commentary and maybe even without commentary uh just because i feel like now that i know the full story and i know these characters i feel like the the rich details about them that you guys speak about will will uh land better and will be more like they'll have a, a tree to hang on if you will um better yeah for sure and I feel like, actually, no, I don't know what I was going to say, actually. Cut this out. <laughs> yeah, edit make this that, shit in post. Yeah. <laughs> make, make, yeah, fix it in post. No, actually make that the opening line for the for the for this particular edit. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what I'm supposed to say about this shit. <laughs> and then, and then okay. for the intro theme that's like hand <laughs> flutes or something. I don't know what I'm like, supposed to say about this. Cut this out. I, I know what I was going to say now. Um <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I I can see where aspects of the subplots can just get confusing after a while because some of these subplots span across multiple rooms and there's much time in between each clue of the subplot that you could easily forget what you had read already about the subplot. Like one thing that comes to mind is uh, Sarah, the medic, her right. past. And by gathering clues about what had happened to her before Tacoma and her issues with, uh, you know, the, the guilt that she feels and the anxieties that she feels. But also being blamed by Venturis for something that was their fault. Yeah, exactly. You know, she was a part of this luxury lunar resort and her medical AI completely malfunctioned and refused to respond. And she was blamed for it because Venturis can't admit that their AI fucked up. Right. And all of those, in her investigation 
into what had happened to that medical AI. So you see IM conversations between her and Nat um, asking about, you know, hey, can you grab me this data for this certain AI and this certain resort? You know, that spans across the entire game from the first room all the way till the very end where you realize what has happened in Sarah's past. And some of those details to that subplot were so fine that it could easily be missed. Mm. And so uh, I can see, McCoy, where you could would feel like getting overwhelmed trying to piece together the main plot, but then also these like little subplots that in turn contribute to the main plot in a way. Yeah, and I, I think I would sort of place these little subplots like into the main plot, and I wasn't sure exactly, but I mean, I you know, it wasn't like totally lost, but yes, there was definitely that that element. Um, one of the things I don't know if this is just crazy, but also the fact that their their moving figures did not have their faces on it, that kind of got to me. There's something about because they have faces in the messages where you can see, oh yeah, that that's that person. I totally get it. But then there was a disconnect to me between the reading and and them, because. I couldn't associate that person. Like I would see them and I wasn't totally sure like, cause they're more of these hologram mirages. Um, I don't know if anyone else felt that way, but to me that that was difficult to place their person and the stuff that I've learned about their person onto their, their hologram. The color coding helped me a lot with that. Cause they're all of their like profile pictures are color coded um, mm. to, ma- to match the VR outline. Like a lot of times, you know, they, they all have that color theming. Um, and that works well to kind of give them a face. I almost started calling them instead of Sarah. It's like, I eh, know they're just blue, <laughs> blue and red and orange and green and purple and whatever. Um, like I did get their names well enough, but I almost wanted to not try <laughs> and just <laughs> go, go by color. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I, it, it took me a while to put them together, but then, and it wasn't too bad after that. Nice. Yeah. I kind of wonder, uh, this is maybe going on a, on a tangent here. So, well, okay. Um, the first scene in every area is directly related to the main plot. It's always like two days ago, 18 hours ago kind of thing. Um, like the very first scene that you hit as soon as you enter an area is that. And then you can go and explore the side areas and get things that happened months ago or weeks ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, for me, helped with the cohesion. Um but uh, I damn forgot where I was going with that. Hmm. Put that in the front of the bumper too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we should we should just have uh, a podcast that's entirely the uh, snippets of us being like, "Damn, what was I going to say?" And how does how does Craig work? And yeah, oh, my mic's jacked up. <laughs> yeah, remember to turn all your mics to mono. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also, when playing this game, there are horror elements to the music, but it never really, like, gets into a horror game. But I just kept feeling like, God, if I turn around the corner and I have to, like, murder something with an axe, I swear to God, I'm going to flip out. <laughs> just now, like dead space. It gets creepy. Um, just little hints of creepy in the music. Um, yeah. Well, you have Odin hacking into your... Whenever you recover a scene and you just see like the words like innocent or like, you know, yeah. they I tried. Yeah, I tried. Oh, yeah, that was I creepy. loved them. Um, yeah, that was like 
again, it kind of goes into that sense of uneasiness because the first time I played through this McCoy, I also kind of felt this like foreboding sense of like, oh God, what's going to happen to me? Um, because of those little messages that come up and you're like, who's trying to communicate with me? Like, is someone else trapped on here? Like, what am I walking into? And especially the last scene where you are in the room that reveals everything. So it reveals Venturis's evil, evil plot to, to uh, sure. destroying the Tacoma crew. And there's all the evidence. Oh, there. the Billy Jean room. <laughs> yeah. The Billy Jean room. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but even that room's a little creepy because it's completely oh, yeah. dark and you are walking around and the floor lights up underneath you. And you're like, Oh God, what am I walking into here? Um, that was some of the, like, as far as the world that they built being believable with, like, the, this is going way back to the very first question you asked, um, some of the stuff was very clearly sci-fi bullshit. Um, like, you know, a server room that's mostly empty with magic light-up floor. Oh, yeah. Everybody yeah. goes in there, so why is this not just, like, a closet? <laughs> <laughs> why, yeah. why is it so large? Why is it human navigable? Well, it definitely was, like... Oh, this is just a very different look to everything else we've seen. Yeah. Um, but it's just like the story is turning in such a way at that moment that like, he, at least for me, I'm just sucks straight in. Like I'm just, I'm slow walking through those, those corridors and I'm just like, okay, I was waiting. going to be some crazy shit. Let's go. I was waiting for a little red light to show up down the hallway. Just to bring I'm it sorry, back. Amy. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like. I was, that was a really good bait and switch, though, because it's like all the way leading up to that moment. It's like, oh, well, Odin's evil. And he killed everyone, except it didn't quite match because it's like, oh, the crew got out. Right. Like, you know that coming in that the crew evacuated. You do? Um, yeah. I yeah. don't remember. I didn't remember that at all. I think Your when you go AI in. Is, like giving you the briefing. Yeah. The, there's like a little debrief. Oh, OK. Well, I wasn't listening, clearly. Like, in a way, I was disappointed that it said that the crew had evacuated because I would have loved to have that kind of, did they get get out? Did they make yeah. it? But realistically thinking, like, a ship wouldn't have the status. Like, they, they wouldn't go without the status of crew members on board ever. Like, it wouldn't just be this, you know, enigma of like, did they make it? We don't know. <laughs> and if they didn't, it was like, uh, am I going to walk in on a room full of corpses? <laughs> no, exactly. That uh, You're like, where's the room where they're all just in their death poses? Where's the cor yeah. Where's the corpse pile? Yeah. The, but yeah. then they would have yeah. had to model a face and that would have been bad news for them, I think. No, definitely. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of like, there is the whole bait and switch, though, where you think you're working as a contractor for Venturis, and then at the end, you realize that you are, like, you know, a rogue contractor who's making Odin escape, and there's that kind of, like, fuck yeah kind of moment at the very <laughs> end before she launches out of here being like, let's go, Odin, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. this is so cool. Cause, there like, was a couple of weird things that happened related to that um, for me. Uh, like, what was up with the other AI taking over the your communication with Venturis? That was the AI who originally proposed the idea of killing everyone on, on the station. Right. But, like, why... 
why did that AI take over your conversate your like Venturis log? Is it because that AI was secretly is secretly working for Tangiers? I kind of suspected that AI was secretly um or had picked up on the fact that you were a rogue contractor and were trying to like scare you out of doing the thing you're gonna do. That's the sense that I got. It was like a desperation thing that you, you, your whole situation got forwarded up the chain to the AI, and the AI is like, "Ah, shit! Huh. I'm gonna send vaguely threatening messages." Where, where? <laughs> I mean, I remember there that AI being on the poster in Nat's room of like that had different locations for the various AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was Luna posted? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Although, one thing that... Uh, now, here's a question I have. The game was set in... It's 2088, right? Yeah. Yep. There's a line somewhere there about Odin being run continuously for 180 years, which... So, I'm not a math wizard, but this seems to put Odin as having been generated in the 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> like, the beginning of the 1900s. Plausible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some secret and government shit going on. I'm yeah, wondering if they mean theory. if they're like running it at double speed or something. <laughs> Adam reads that line and just ejects himself out the space pod. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think of that. I'm trying to find I mean, maybe it's just now. like, you know, Odin was just some sub AI form since the 1900s that yeah, maybe it was a secret government project Juno. that <laughs> What do you think? Do you think, we, do you think we did it? I think we did it. Wow. Nice. Congrats. This was a good one. Actually, can I games. say like a little fun tidbit I found out in commentary? If I said no, no. Yeah, I was going to say no, too. <laughs> I no, was no. going to say yes. <laughs> All right, what does Gabe say? It's a no from me, dog. Oh, <laughs> right. no, just End the episode. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> what did you find out? What did you find out? Um, no, I just wanted to give like a little tidbit on the voice acting because I thought the voice acting was excellent in this game and the whole all of the crew members recorded in the same room um the only people who oh. recorded separate from the crew members were uh amy which makes sense because amy wouldn't know these crew members and she also has like very little lines in the game so yeah you know that makes sense <gasps> but um the voice actor who played sergio the ceo um they never told him that sergio was the bad guy quote unquote in the game hmm. instead they just said that you know we want you to just act like yourself just act completely you know jovial you know nice everything like that and as he's reading his lines i guess during the line where he is recording his uh his condolence speech for the crew of tacoma oh and at the end when he has to be like you know i don't need another take that's fine like whatever but like that's when he as the voice actor realized that he was evil and he was just like oh my god <laughs> like, <laughs> I, and he's like i need to re-record my lines like i didn't sound evil enough in any of the things and like the 
people who did the audio work were just like, no, no, that's fine. We, we wanted you to be nice. Like we, we didn't want you to give off that you were evil in some sort of way. But I think I missed that line, actually, that whole voice thing. Oh, when was that? It's a very pivotal moment, right? When you're in the brain of the AI. Yeah. I read the text logs. I didn't realize there was, uh, I think it's like multiple, like terminals you get access there or something to that effect. Uh, well, it's part What's, of the AR scene. It is actually. part of the AR scene. Oh, it's yeah. Part of, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I did hear it then. I don't know. You were probably oh, well. reading during it's just when it they're and talking not really about how attention. like everyone. That was one thing that I thought. I mean, you can pause and rewind, so it's not a big problem. But there are a couple points where they seem to want you to read and listen to text at the same time, which is not something that brains can do. That is true. You get to use your language centers for one thing and one thing only. <laughs> So at, each, at, at a time, I googled Tacoma and I found the head the the title of Kotaku's article about it, which is "You can complete Tacoma by just standing around." I was wondering about that. I wanted to ask that. What? Because it's like the so when you put the little booklet thing in, yeah, um, it starts taking up like tenth of a percent by tenth of a percent, and I was like, if you just wait here, does this is this fine? <laughs> I wonder so, if it's yes. just like this person doesn't like. Oh, no. No. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. It's nine hours, apparently. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> That's the game I want to play. Also, who is yeah, H? Exactly. Uh, H is a cluey dog. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And I think you... you I didn't make that uh, connection on my first playthrough, but because I think when Nat sends over Cluey Dog's contact info to Sarah for her own investigation, yeah, it's like Hussein or Hussein. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hassan. Uh, yeah, Hassan, Hassan M. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and then at the very last AR scene when they're all coming out of cryo and um, getting on Jermaine's Carnival cruise ship. Um, one of the AR desktops, I think it's either Sarah's or Nat's, but it shows her, oh, it's uh, Sarah communicating with Cluey Dog for the first time saying like, Hey, I'm going to need a favor from you because Sarah's worried about what's about to happen to Odin. That's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, one of the things she says, like right before she leaves is talking to like, she's like, I won't let that happen to you, Odin or something like that. Right. Oh yeah, because I said they were gonna take the the AI out and like redo it or whatever. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, they were basically gonna. Yeah. That's what wipe. Amy's job was if she wasn't a rogue agent, hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's sort of like <laughs> <laughs> that last line of just like from Odin, like, "Well, based on the alternative, I will accept your proposition." <laughs> and then you just like blast off. Oh fuck yeah, it's <laughs> good. I think sure. there are a lot of the complaints were just that the the story wrapped up too nicely, but honestly, I don't. I I still think there's a sense of foreboding when the story ends because you don't know what's going to happen after that. Like, will Amy and Odin get caught by Juno, who's now on their case? Like, will they safely make it to Tangiers and like Odin lives happily ever after? Like, we don't really know that. Yeah. Also, the bigger question is, when they get Odin there to hang out with other pal, all of his other AI pals, will they destroy humanity? See, that's what I'm yeah, thinking. Right? <laughs> like, what if? Like, yeah, is he gonna be a cool yeah bro? the follow-up game to this is, like, we have to destroy the AI, right? 
Right. Yeah, it's like, what if that <laughs> is no, just baby precursor to Detroit Cyberpunk? Become Human? That's the next one. Oh, yeah. okay. Shock. So next week we're playing Detroit Become Human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just get that done in three to four hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. So, Gabe, you were telling me about how Detroit has similar. Gabe was telling me about how Detroit had similar uh, storytelling mechanisms. Yeah, it has that like pause, rewind, playback aspect to it. That's super cool. I really appreciated that as a way of telling like a weird after the fact story. Like, I don't know if Detroit is about like if they're like crime scenes or stuff you're investigating. I'm not sure how they. What, that's like, a what part the of it, is, yeah. But I feel like it's. I feel like that's a really good example of crime scene, you know. Like I don't. I never actually played. A, God, what's that one with all the faces? You know, it's like a, it's a crime scene investigation game, and it's like all the faces. They did all this. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Oh, man, La shit. Noir. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, I never played yeah, I that. So I never played in that game. Huh? <laughs> I was gonna say I don't well, know how like, I got that, but all right. <laughs> impressive. Well done. Um, it's just like I feel like a game like that would really be well suited for like this sort of pause, rewind, weird, ethereal storytelling after the fact that you get there. Mm. That might be the an interesting insight if I ever played that game. Hmm. All right. Are we cutting right. this? Okay, well, so I just want week... to get just out of 10. Oh. Everyone go around. <laughs> out of 10. Oh, out of <laughs> oh my fucking God. <laughs> so I actually have a... Uh, and I worked on this only for like one day or whatever. So you can just like tear this apart if you want. But I had at one point worked on a better system than a 10 rating for games that I think would be more applicable um, and could actually be applicable to this podcast. And that's, um, it's like basically the thumbs up system, but it's like, so there's like a neutral, there's thumbs up, there's two thumbs up, and then there's obviously one thumbs down and two <laughs> thumbs down. But it's more about just like how much would you recommend this game? So it doesn't have to be like, this is a perfect game. It doesn't have to invite those uh, numeric comparisons of like it's a nine out of ten therefore it was missing one it's just like no i really really like this game i really recommend if you are this type of person you should play it sort of thing um i don't know if that's applicable but if you if you if you put it from that context this game to me is i like personally like it's a solid like double thumbs up because i just think it's not and that doesn't mean that you have to compare it with everything else that's a double thumbs up, but it just means like it's a very unique thing. And I'm very thankful for having experienced it. It's very strange. Um, and it was it was cool. Like I really enjoyed going through it and I would definitely like to go through it again. And the fact that it has a commentary mode just makes me so happy. Like it, I really want to go through with the commentary mode just because I feel like commentary modes in, in movies are like some of my most favorite ever. So I'm really excited to see if this like how they do that um, and, and how that comes across in a game like this. I would give it a thumbs yeah. up because I think it's a, I like how they did the, the whole story aspect and kind of like the twist at the end. Cause it was totally set up, at least in my opinion, going in was like, Oh, it's like a rogue AI or something like that. But that's been done almost to death. So it was kind of cool seeing like, Oh no, it's the corporation. And the AI is actually kind of the good guy in this situation. Yeah. I'd also give it thumbs up. I think they did a really good job of kind of innovating on the idea of storytelling. So, like, the whole pause rewind thing, um, as well as the, like, sci-fi is just a perfect fit for this because it, as I was mentioning earlier, lets you um, explore the extraordinary at your own pace without making it seem extraordinary to the characters in the world. Um, 
So I think they just saw they fit all the pieces together and innovated on the idea of storytelling in a way that worked really well for it, um, which is the kind of thing that I really like to see. I I give it a thumbs up. Um, I might give it two thumbs up on just based on kind of who I'm talking to um, in a certain sense of like who like I'm thinking about like as a recommendation um, between a thumbs up and, and two thumbs. Yeah. No, All right. I mean, that's definitely like a fair part of that, like teasing that out. Like that's why the modern day, like reviews used to be site-based. I mean, they still are site-based, right? Like IGN gave it a 10 or something, but then it became more important to sort of follow the reviewer because you started to understand what it is that they like and don't like. So you could say, well, this person does not share all the same likes as me. So therefore, if they really like this game, uh, it might be good for me, but it might not necessarily. So you're starting to do a little bit of that, like, sort of massaging of the score to sort of fit more of yourself, trying to tease out whether or not it fits you versus whether it fits them. Um. Donkey does something like that. Yeah, sorry, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Donkey, uh, video game Donkey on YouTube, he yeah. has a whole video about rating and how you should really consider the person writing the game, uh, writing the review more than the actual score itself. And um, yeah, he, he kind of had the same premise where it's just like, you know, I fucking hate MOBAs. So if I rate a MOBA is really good, then you know that I'm not fucking around. <laughs> and I'm just like... Yeah. But, um, no, and that's, I think, been true for a long time. Like, that's at least how I've been thinking about it since, like, sort of the personality started to transcend these organizations that they worked for and they became sort of named people and... They showed up on podcasts, they showed up on whatever. It's like they are people and they have preferences. Um, and it's 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 hard. It's hard for us to sit here and say to a person that we're not talking to face-to-face, -face, here's whether you'd like it or not. That's like a very difficult task. Because um, if I knew you, like I could sit there and I could be like, I think you'd like this seriously. And here's why, because I know you. Um, but since we don't have that, we have to sort of say for ourselves and maybe try to qualify it with what we think. Maybe if you're this type of person, you might like it. Like if you're the type of person that likes environmental storytelling or if you're like the type of person that likes just weirder off i want to say off meta it's not really right i think just think of mobas but like you know off triple a or whatever types of games and you like this sort of thing um if you're bored by games easily if you don't really like storytelling if you like headshots and things like this uh don't um although i would urge you maybe like try to expand a little <laughs> for fun just one time um, yeah so what do you think? So thumbs up, thumbs down, double thumbs up, what you got? So I guess I'll qualify by saying as somebody whose main bread and butter with games are narrative exploring, explorative, explorative, uh, explorative, I, exploratory, exploratory, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but as somebody who likes um, 
you know, narrative-based games where you have to look very intently at your surroundings and piece together a story, I give this a double thumbs up. This game is my bread and butter. Um, nice. I think going into this, um, I was worried that this game would just be a recycling of Gone Home because it was taking the same concept and it was just going to be a different story plot. But I think they modified it in such a way that made the game still refreshing on its own. And I have to give them a lot of credit for all this, uh, the writing and the world building that they did. And it's uh, truly quite a feat. And I think if you enjoy that sort of stuff, then you will definitely love this game. What, can you just give us a brief overview of Gone Home and how it's different? I'm just curious, like, what is that game about? I don't know anything about it. Yeah, so Gone Home is Fulbright's first game, I believe. And uh, all the story is, is you are a girl coming home from studying abroad for a year or just from being abroad for a year. So you come back to your home. No one is home. There's a note on the door that's very cryptic from your sister saying, you know, that she wishes that she could tell you everything, but it is impossible. And as this girl, you explore the house and piece together what has happened in this house before your arrival. That's rad. And so um, the thing that they modified was, whereas in Gone Home, where you would be figuring out what happened through your younger sister's diary entries. Uh, this time, I found the AR scenes to be a lot more interactive and just a cooler cooler take on the same idea as it was a kind of like virtual diary that the ship was storing. Awesome. Would you recommend it still? Gone Home or Tacoma? Yes, Gone Home. Oh yeah, I would. I would recommend Gone Home as well. Hmm. Um, cool. Ending of Gone Home. I that could be a whole different thing, but I won't give any spoilers. <laughs> I have some grievances with the ending, but I see it's still a great experience to go through. It's like, I would say it's like historically important in some ways. Like it was a big thing at the time. Um, oh yeah, for sure. And they did. It was the first thing that like really hardcore focused on environmental storytelling that I've seen at least in a while. Um, so it's kind of worth viewing from the historical lens, I guess. Sounds good. And people and do speed run. runs of it. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. Mac, uh, uh, Griffin McElroy did a speed run of it. That just sounds wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, I love speed runs, man. I love them so dearly. They're fantastic, especially 100% speedruns with glitches because you really get to pop the hood and look at what's happening. Oh, yeah. And it's like, turns out that you can use these sprites to overwrite the game code and reprogram Super Mario World 2 to be Tetris. <laughs> yeah. Dude, there was a speedrun I was watching the other day where one of the tactics was like, it was, it was actually fear. Um, and one of the tactics was you like blow up a box in such a perfect angle that you can jump on top of it and ride it like a surfboard, like through the sky so that you can like bunny hop onto this other ledge. And it's just like, and of course it's fear. So it's all in slow motion and it is fucking cool. Um, I don't know. 
that's all that's a tangent uh, anyways uh james has chosen a game for next week um all right so we lost uh james's audio there uh and he was going to explain to us the game for next week so i guess that's the second time in a row he has not explained to us the game <laughs> uh wow he's not here and i'm just taking him down all right seems nice but anyways the game we ended up choosing was the gardens between which is a cool artsy uh, puzzle game where you in a similar way to tacoma actually like scrub through time back and forwards in order to solve puzzles and there's some weird perspective stuff going on and uh you'll hear more about it next week all right um i hope you like it i'll 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 fade in the last bit of the discussion here so you can see how it ends but anyways that's mostly the gist of it it's just all of us going "Uh uh-huh uh-huh while james talks but isn't recorded for some reason anyways cheers it's a it's a puzzle game from what i've seen i haven't i haven't heard too too much about it but it's a puzzle game um and so it's like messing with time and timelines and and that sort of stuff and it just looks like you know it's cutesy and artsy and whatever fuck it let's see if it's good sounds great